1: Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to, to record. See, I hate- I already hate it. I hate it. Alright, hello, and welcome to a Tuesday morning edition of Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball. Did the Braves just win the NLCS? Who is to say? Did they win one game? Who is to say? Uh, I am joined as I am every Tuesday during the season with john taylor john good morning sir how are you well
0: they they definitely did win one game that for sure happened
1: (laughs) if you if you look at the reaction from braves country um which was a big thing do you remember braves country like when the braves really wanted to to get that uh southern fan base when it was very i i remember the commercials very distinctly braves country and peachtree tv it was a different era at that point. This was, I guess, like 10 years ago now. Um, I remember Chris Medlin being a, a heavily featured Brave on Braves Country. This is Braves Country. But anyway, Braves Country is uh, is very hyped up about uh, the Braves taking game one, Austin Riley not being atrocious. You texted me about Nick Markakis having a big moment, which I had to throw my... Do you remember uh, George of the Jungle? Did you ever watch that movie in the mid-90s?
0: Mm, no, but I mean, I don't love it. Random okay. is
1: There's a meme that time. came out of it where he's like, we throw our heads up in the air and laugh. Ha 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 ha. Um, that is what I did. Uh, when you, you, you considered for a moment that Nick Marcakis might actually do something positive at the plate in two, 2020.
0: Yeah, they didn't really give him the opportunity, did they?
1: No. Uh, but the Braves won. Albies hit a big home run. Riley hit a big home run. I think that ball is still traveling. Max Reed pitched great. Um, we'll also obviously get into the Rays and I think as we're recording the Astros still have two runners on um, from game two but uh, what do you what what was your biggest takeaways from uh, game one the NLCS
0: Um, mostly I think that the idea that that was a game the Braves had to win because of what their pitching setup is for the rest of the series I mean obviously they have Ian Anderson tonight against Kershaw that's good in Game 3, they have Kyle Wright, who pitched very well against the Marlins, but I don't know how much you trust that going to be able to do the same thing against the Dodgers. In Game 4, who knows what you're going to do? Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe the Braves have a poor starter for this series. Um,
1: Josh Tomlin, baby.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so, Game 4 is either going to have to be a bullpen day or Freed on short rest, although now that they're up uh, 1-0, I don't think they're going to have... probably not going to turn to Freed down. Late. Even if they are down 2-1, I don't see that happening. So, you know, the last thing you want if you're the Braves or last thing you wanted if you're the Braves is to lose this game with one of your two reliable starters on the mound and or blow out your bullpen in the process. Because game four is almost certainly going to have to be a bullpen game. And realistically, you're looking at game three being a game where you're probably going to be going to your bullpen pretty early if Wright doesn't have it. I think Anderson's probably going to get a pretty long leash tonight, um, if only because, again, you do not want to burn out that bullpen heading into these next two games. Or the sorry the two games after today, so I think that's I think that's probably the big takeaway for me is the Braves had to win that game. Um, I think they and I think now that they have, they're in good shape. Obviously, you know they don't have to worry as much about that pitching. Uh, Other than that, I mean, I I think I made a note on Twitter that that is pretty much the Braves blueprint for success. Is exactly how game one went. You know, you have your starter pitch six really good innings. You have your bullpen uh, hold the lead. You have your bats just whack some big old homers that is pretty much how the Braves are going to have to win this series it's going to be those three things happening over and over and over again um, they're not really built to win any other way and it came together in game one
1: what do you what do you think the Dodgers have to fix what did you see from LA standpoint that you're like hmm if that doesn't get uh, resolved they actually could really lose this series
0: I don't know so much if there's anything they have to fix. I mean, there's not necessarily a button Dave Roberts can push to make the offense hit. Mm. And, excuse me. And the Dodgers were hitting, uh, obviously against the Brewers, and then again against the Padres. You know, the offense was working just fine. Then, I think the big problem, though, and, and also one that doesn't really have a solution either, is boy, their bullpen is kind of in a problematic place. They do not really have. Kind of that high, le- I mean, let me, uh, to start off with, I just note that it doesn't really seem like Kenley Jansen is the closer anymore. Uh, Dave Roberts does not seem to have committed to using Kenley Jansen in the ninth to um, bring Kenley Jansen in in big situations. So that's a problem. Uh, Blake Trinan, obviously who has been the high leverage guy for the Dodgers throughout the postseason so far got lit up last night. That's a problem. Um, what are your options beyond those guys? Uh, I don't think Dodgers fans want to see Joe Kelly in high-leverage situations. I do. Uh, Jake McGee. <laughs> I mean, I do for the sheer chaos. Yes. But, uh, Jake, Jake McGee, who was really good during the regular season, weirdly did not pitch at all up until last night. Mm. and then Love he, me some Jake did, McGee. Get... Give me more Jake McGee Ooh. in my life. But the thing is, he was really good during the regular season, but then Dave Roberts, for some reason, A, doesn't pitch him at all in the postseason up until last night, so the guy hasn't pitched in two weeks, and B, he puts him in against a guy in Ozzy Albies who murders left-handed pitching, which was, I think Roberts managed a pretty good game last night. That was the one move I didn't understand at all. Why are you going to the lefty against Albies? You know? You, you want to keep Albies hitting from the left side. Um, no, you don't. Regardless no, you firing, don't.
1: You want to you open him up. It's Albies mania, my man.
0: But I think I, I think if there is an issue with the Dodgers right now, and I again I don't know if it's fixable. It's what do you do about the bullpen? Mm. And maybe it's something like those young guys, Gratterall, and uh, maybe depending on what what they want to do pitching wise, maybe Dustin May. I mean, maybe it's one of those young guys has to be kind of one of the late inning types. I mean, the, 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 or Victor Gonzalez who got himself out of um, a mess very nicely last night. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the big issue the Dodgers face is what are we going to do with late leads? Um, I think you're probably going to see Kershaw get pushed pretty hard tonight because of that, because I don't really feel like Dave Roberts trusts much. What else is new in the postseason? Dave Roberts does not, does not trust who he has in his bullpen to do what he needs to be done. Um, but, yeah, if, if the Dodgers do feel like that is a problem, and it is a problem, maybe maybe the solution is you push guys like May and Gratterall and Victor Gonzalez and whoever else or Sony Gonsolin, another guy we really haven't seen yet at all this postseason. Uh, maybe those guys get pushed into more late leverage relief until they kind of figure out A, you know, how to how to fix uh um, Jansen and B if what happened with Tryon last night was just kind of a fluke or if there's something really going on there.
1: Mm. Who are you most confident about in this rotation for the Dodgers in this series? Who do you think matches up the best against the Braves?
0: Uh Probably Kershaw, I don't know if that's necessarily even a matchup thing so much as he's really the only Dodgers starter. I feel like I trust Bueller very clearly is not 100% with the blisters he has. And then your other options are, you know, kids basically in May and Urias and and Gonsolin and and whatever else. You know, I, I think Kershaw, this is the unfortunate reality for Clayton Kershaw. He is just forever going to be the guy the Dodgers have to lean on in these moments because it doesn't ever seem like they have Uh, a reliable number two behind him. Um, I think obviously Bueller, if he's healthy, isn't even necessarily the number two. He's the number one, but he, like I said, he's got those blisters, so I I mean, I don't know if it's a matchup thing necessarily. I don't know what Kershaw's numbers are against this Braves lineup. I don't know what the Braves lineup does against left-handed pitching. I mean, obviously that's all, you know, uh, I'm sure that all makes some difference, but I trust Kershaw to a relatively high degree. I mean, the, the trip for him tonight, obviously, is going to be um, getting ahead with the fastball and throwing that for strikes. And then with his slider, making sure there's – because I, I think if there's a problem he ran into in his last starting in San Diego, which is pretty good, uh, his slider was a little too firm, a little too close to the fastball in terms of velocity. He's got to soften it up a bit. If he can do that, he can probably get six or seven innings without too much of an issue, and that would be really, really big if he can do that. And if, but, the, of course, the problem for the Dodgers is how do you solve Anderson? No one's done that so far. The kid throws ridiculous stuff. That changeup. is
1: just really good. Yeah. I um I hesitate to overreact to a seven game series. And I I don't know. I go back and forth on this because I went in um to this series just being like do I emotionally invest. Yeah we here?
0: never we ne- Yeah, since we never talked before the series started, we never really got a prediction on your part, no. did we?
1: And I don't think they're gonna win this series. I still trust firepower over what the Braves are going to throw out starting pitching wise. I'm, they've been great all season. Like they're still just the, um, just a streak of being up for an entire postseason is pretty wild. Um, they've got a lot moving, but I just, I really still worry about the rotation. I still worry about what happens when the Dodgers bats heat up. Cause I trust the Dodgers offense more than I trust the Braves offense. And I, I don't know. And I, I, I I just I'm nervous. I don't think they're going to be able to withstand a seven-game series with this firepower. I really don't.
0: Well, I think the thing that the Braves run into is the same problem that the Astros run into over in the ALCS, is that a seven-game a best of seven with no off days is the greatest test of depth that's ever yes. been designed by Major League like Baseball in the postseason, and that really does favor teams like Tampa and Los Angeles who have. Just way more, just more all the time. The only difference is, I think Tampa's a little better, well, because they have a better bullpen than than Los Angeles does. Regardless, I mean, I mean, I get what you're saying that this is basically one giant death test. Yes, and that you probably feel more comfortable with the Dodgers' pitching options than you do with the Braves, because I mean, lineup-wise, it seems like it seems even to me, even with Adam Duvall getting hurt, and uh, truthfully, Duvall getting hurt doesn't feel like that huge a loss. The only thing is, I think, it either forces you either to play Riley in the outfield if you don't want to start uh, Pache, and then start either... I I can't imagine Pablo Sandoval going to be starting games (laughs) in the year 2020 in the postseason. So that means you have to add Camargo to your roster and then make him the starting third baseman, or you keep Riley at third base and you start Pache, who a very good prospect, a great defender, super base runner is... Is that the one you really want taking regular postseason at-bats? I I mean, I don't know. But regardless, it's not like Duvall was sitting well anyway. Pache is a better defender in the first place, so maybe that's a wash as it turns out. Although Duvall at least has the ability to run into one, and certainly, I guess, especially against a left-hander like Kershaw, you're really going to miss him. But, yeah, I mean, I I just feel like the, the Braves and Dodgers lineups are both pretty, I'd say they're pretty evenly matched, so it's just a matter of, who can kind of get through more games with that bullpen intact and who also doesn't have to cover for as many starter innings. And again, yeah, I guess that's like why, why I said game one is so important for Atlanta, because going forward, they, they definitely seemed like they were at the disadvantage when it came to both, you know, available starting pitching because they are going to have the bullpen game four barring something weird or, or, and uh, not wanting to use that bullpen too heavily because of that, which I think also they, you know, they, they did that well last night. They only, Melanson only threw what, like, twelve pitches or something in the ninth. You know, they never, they didn't have to use Tyler Matzick. They didn't have to use. Uh, I mean, they did use Will Smith, but he also didn't pitch particularly much. They didn't have to use Shane Green. They didn't have to use. Uh, uh, you know, they, really, their their top guy. I mean, their only guy really who maybe you don't use tonight is Chris Martin. Yeah, and that's pretty good. They they really did not use up too much of their bullpen last night. And I and have their to bullpen's that catching bombs. Could,
1: yeah, Melanson, Melanson just casually playing, catching bombs. I love it. Playing a gold glove outfield out there. I mean, you love to see it, folks. You love to see it. Um, you love to see it. I'm weirded out at how clo- like how comfortable I am with uh, Melanson at this point. I was so anti-Melanson last year. And uh, I'm very okay it's, Melanson now.
0: It's weird because he's obviously not the stereotypical flamethrowing closer, but yeah. he gets the job done. That's the thing, like, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough. I mean, I haven't looked at his numbers, so I can't say for any with any um, certainty. Like, oh, here's how Melanson does it, but I understand that feeling of like when he comes in the game, you're like, I don't feel a hundred percent comfortable with this because this is not a dude who's just going to blow everyone away. You know, this is
1: not Pete Craig Campbell, and we see the the downside um, to that. I mean, look at Chapman. What he what happened to him? Like that doesn't mean anything. Just it 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 is weird. Are, have we have we been conditioned to just not be comfortable with closers who don't throw hundred and one miles per hour. Is that just where we're at? We we just been yeah, so because, accustomed to it. Because that, Yeah.
0: Because the invariable the invariable reality of baseball is that your best reliever oftentimes becomes the closer. I mean it's slightly less so now because of the way bullpen rolls have evolved and shifted over the last few years. But really that that's a change that's only happened arguably since since uh, Andrew Miller in the postseason. And that was only four years ago. So I think you know, we are just, we are kind of conditioned to that guy throws super hard or that guy is the closer, which means he must throw super hard and get a ton of strikeouts. And so to see a guy like Melanson, who doesn't throw super hard or get, I mean, he gets strikeouts, but he doesn't get, again get like Craig Kimbrell strikeouts. Um, you, you do, you, I think your, the brain always kind of does a little stutter stuff where it's like, wait, really him, that that's the closer. Turns out he's really good at it.
1: Yeah. On the other side, well, let's get a let's get a over one re, over reaction for game one. Um, how do you see this series going? What what is your current as of Tuesday morning at eleven a.m.? What is your current prediction for how this unfolds?
0: I think before the series, if you'd asked me, I would have gone either Dodgers, either six or seven, and I think I still feel like Dodgers in seven, um, maybe six, but I, I still feel like that's where it's going. But I do just think that they. The trick for them is going to be tonight because they have the advantage pitching wise, I believe, or they should in games three and four. But if they're in a two 0 hole and they got to face Anderson and Freed again, you know, just to get ahead in the series, that's that's not going to be good times. So um, I'm I'm going to stick though. I'm going to I'm going to keep Dodgers in seven though. I think I think they come back.
1: Interesting. Well. Unfortunately, this is where we wrap up because uh, you just hurt my feelings. Wow! Dollars no, no,
0: no love for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays here.
1: Um, love the hats. I don't really understand why they're mixing <laughs> and matching the Devil Rays hats with their Tampa Bay Rays unis, but um, sure. Just
0: apparently bring it back. Um, they're so
1: much better. Just uh, bring back the Devil Rays. Uh, what are we doing? Apparently, the
0: Devil Rays hat is their uh their Sunday home uniform
1: this is what I was that's
0: what I was told by someone on twitter so that's why they were wearing it because but like it was just wear it all the time
1: it's a great hat
0: they should wear it all the time they should bring it back bring back the retro it's
1: time the devil rays is just better what the rays what is it just rays of sunshine what is cool about the rays they have one of the most boring new logos in sports and i think one of their I alternate don't. ones is just like the sun or like this beaming shine of light it it, it sucks
0: yeah this is just a literal it's a literal ray
1: yeah it's terrible.
0: And don't don't bring the back the Devil man. Rays. They're the Devil the Rays.
1: All right. We're calling them the Devil Rays going forward on this podcast at all times. So the Devil Rays, um, they have a great series going against the Houston Astros. I watched, unfortunately, all of this yes, game yesterday. And I think I've watched all of both of them in the series. And... It brings me all kinds of joy to see the Astros struggle with runners in scoring position. I love seeing them not score. One of my favorite things is seeing the Astros run into a brick wall that is the Tampa Bay Rays, and I was a little concerned about their pitching situation because Glasnow can't go until game four, and that kind of concerned me just with the way their their schedule looked, and uh, I don't think it's going to matter.
0: I don't necessarily think it matters, though because one, Ryan Yarbrough is a pretty good pitcher in his own regard. I'm Do you trust Yarbrough, the there? I guess I would I should say I I'm surprised they're not doing the opener thing, but I guess it doesn't really work because if you want to use Ryan Thompson as the opener, then yeah, you've got Springer and Altuve, but then you have Brantley, so I, I don't know how that works. Regardless, and maybe they are, maybe they will do the opener. Who knows? Um, the thing is, though, even with Yarborough going Game Three, I mean, the Astros are throwing I believe Jose Urquidy, and Urquidy's fine. You know, he had a pretty decent season, but like it's a short season because he, he missed a whole lot of it due to unrelated due to to undisclosed reasons, quote unquote. Um, but you, there's a PD and then there's a very clearly compromised Zach Greinke, who is not 100 percent and has not pitched well this postseason. Um, so the fact that the Rays, I mean, they're, they're, there's not really a pitching matchup. there. The Astros' best chance, or not best chance, their their best pitcher is Framber Valdez, and that's why they really had to have Game One because that was the pit that was the game where they had. To a certain degree, the pitching advantage, um, and I guess they—I mean—they had McCullers up pitch Morton in game two, but that's you know. Point of all that being, I feel like the Astros have to win at least one of those games because their pitching options for games three and four are very very shaky, um, and their bullpen is just not as good as Tampa's. They don't really have the uh, personnel to. Uh, I mean, I think you're probably going to see a lot of Christian Javier either tonight or tomorrow, depending on how things go for Houston, but. I don't know. I don't want to say Tampa is getting control of the series because obviously that Astros lineup can turn things around in a hurry and there's, you know, it's, it's only been two games, but they're, they're in very, very good shape, I'd say. And I think watching the series, real realize, man, Tampa is just so good on every part of this. You know, they have a great rotation and a great bullpen and uh, their lineup isn't great. They didn't, they didn't score a lot of runs, but they scored more runs than you would think with this group of hitters. And they are so modular and just, you know, flexible, and then they have that. I mean, you saw last yesterday that great defense they had. That is always in the perfect position. There's really not the only real weak spot you find on the Tampa team is they don't, or I should say, coming into the postseason, like well, they don't really have like a kind of go-to power hitter in that lineup who can just kind of change the game around, um, you know, with one swing. Turns out they do. It's Randy or Rosarena of all the people. You know that's that's their David Ortiz of the twenty of, of their of their postseason is Randy Rosarena. So, you know, you look at Tampa and you're like, where are the where are the weaknesses right now with this team? You know, who who is who is complete enough to beat them at all the facets of the game in which they need to be beat? And I don't know, but I, I think Tampa's in in very very good shape for that series.
1: What is the path to the Astros coming back? What is the path to? Um this cancerous sore on Major League Baseball coming back in this series and finding their way to the World Series.
0: Uh, no more runners left on. That's the big one. I Got think that's important. I think them
1: scoring them. more runs is definitely something I would I would look into if I'm the, the, uh, <laughs> the Astros.
0: I mean, the thing is, they, they hit a lot of balls hard yesterday. Just a lot of them found out. Alex Bregman, every single ball he hit yesterday was 95 miles an hour and up on exit velocity. Every one of them was an out. And... Some of that's just bad luck, but some of that is really good positioning. You saw that with uh, the first ball he hit, that Joey Wendell was, or Joey Wendell, Willie Adamas was right in place to snag. You saw that on the last ball he hit, where, you know, he had a, what off the bat, I think everyone watching that game assumed tie game, or at least tie game when that ball was hit. It hung up a little too much, but you, you know, that ball's hit, camera shifts the outfield, and there's Kevin Kiermeyer two steps away from where he needs to be. And that's, that's that's the frustrating thing with playing the Rays. They are always in the perfect position. So, but yeah, you get turn those runners on into actual runs. You kind of have to do that. They need length from either Arcidi or Granke, or ideally both. Um, I still do think we're probably going to see Javier for two innings either today today or tomorrow at some point. But beyond that, I mean, they've done a pretty good job holding the Rays' offense in check. You know, uh, aside from. A couple untimely homers, just you know, it's just one swing. they Astro pitchers are striking out Rays hitters left and right. You know, Tampa's not building rallies really. Um it it's it's home runs so far. So they've kept the Rays offense pretty well in check. They've just got to be able to convert some of those runners on into actual runs. And, you know, that's that's Houston's path forward. If they obviously if they can't do that, well, this is not going to be a very long series.
1: Hopefully not. Them getting swept out of existence would be something that uh, I'm very much okay for. Good Lance McCullers Jr. start, though, yesterday.
0: Yeah, he was great. I mean, to a certain degree, um, I do wonder how, because right around the obviously those middle innings and the shadows got lengthier, you saw hitters on both sides really struggling to pick the ball up, which is not to take anything away from McCullers. He did pitch really well. I do wonder, though, how much of an effect having to play these afternoon games is having with regards to the shadows. I mean, you saw that. With uh, A's Astros in Los Angeles, when the balls weren't being launched out, they were impossible to pick up in Dodger Stadiums at late afternoon shadows. So, uh, I'll be interested in watching to see if that happens again. I believe they, I believe Dodgers or Dodgers, I believe Astros Rays has the afternoon series the rest of the way through. Right? Wait, say it again. I think I, I think that Dodgers or that uh, I said it again. Astros Rays the afternoon game going yes. forward. Yes. Yeah, because the Dodgers are always going to be in prime time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh no, actually, actually tonight it's Ray's Astros in prime time. Look at that. Wait, is it? Uh, yeah, game two for Braves Dodgers at six oh five. Game three for Ray's oh, Astros okay. is eight forty. So I take that back. So okay, we're not we're not going to see that oh no, no, we actually we we'll see that from the start of the game because that's five forty in the in the afternoon over in in San Diego. So the sun's going to be setting pretty much right through those first few innings. So we'll see how those shadows work again, but. Um, yeah, McCullers had a great start. He looked really good, except for the one mistake he made, which was to um, to Manny Margot to leave a uh, basically a belt high curveball that uh, Margot really Margot, a really good breaking ball hitter, just jumped all over.
1: Mm. Um, would you like to get into some news that happened this week, John?
0: Uh, is it one of the guys who died, or is there some other news? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I don't really have anything to add. When older, like Whitey Ford, Joe Morgan, I didn't watch them growing up. Obviously, so I uh, thoughts and prayers to their family, but I don't really have anything to add because I didn't, I didn't watch them. I didn't grow up like. There's no connection there. Um, but and it's also weird because but. I think. Well, I shouldn't say, but um. I don't know if you're like this, but did you grow up just kind of being really angry at the Miller-Morgan games? Because, like, that was something that I felt bad. Like, that's whenever I think about Joe Morgan, I think about that broadcast team. And it it was not good. It's
0: it's an unfortunate, inevitable um, connection for our generation, because like you said, we never saw Morgan play growing up. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just weird because, it, it is weird because, like, Joe Morgan was the best second baseman in major league baseball history. His numbers are absurd. Completely, completely absurd. But all we know Shots of him fired is at
1: Marcus Giles.
0: The, all we know of him is the super cranky dude on Sunday night baseball who seemed yeah. to hate everything. And that's how I know him. Nice, I, think the, yeah. I think the nice thing for me is that it has been long enough since Joe Morgan was on the air that I have mostly forgotten what that was like. Um, there was no like standout Joe Morgan broadcasting moment in my head that just lives on repeat. Um, cause he, he's been out of the booth for at least a decade now, I believe. Yeah. And so I, I think that help is just like, I don't remember that Joe Morgan as much now, even anymore anyway. So it doesn't really matter to me. Like when I saw he died, I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. Joe Morgan, the former broadcaster, but the, I, I don't really think about this too long. And to meet my brain goes more toward Joe Morgan, the hall of famer, who was again, the greatest second baseman in major league baseball history. Um, but it is, it is weird, especially because I think obviously for our generation too, fire Joe Morgan had a lot to do with that as well. You know, yeah. that was ask, ask any number of people within, um, the kind of baseball community, the baseball writing community, the kind of stats community, the sabermetric community of, of our generation, or at least who kind of gotten into it in the last 15 or so years. And I imagine a lot of them will tell you that, I mean, i 15, maybe 15 to 20, um, that the gateway for them, one of the gateways for them was fire Joe Morgan, which really kind of took not necessarily sabermetric metric thought to a, to a broader audience, but certainly their particular style of uh, Ken Tremendous's slash uh, what's his, what's his real name. Um, Mike sure that particular brand of, of baseball commentary and thoughts to a, a bigger audience in the vector of Joe Morgan. But um but that's not, that has nothing to do with Joe Morgan, obviously, who again was a superb player. But I understand what you're saying. It's like you know, we we didn't grow up watching them. You know, it's obviously a loss. They were they were fantastic players back in their day, but we we have nothing personal to add to the conversation,
1: right? Um.
0: Oh, okay. But what's his, What's his news then?
1: Rick Renaria.
0: did not uh, do a great
1: Ricky, job Ricky's of boys, handling the bullpen. Ricky's now.
0: boys never quit, but Ricky Ricky has to quit. Ricky has been forced to quit.
1: Ricky is is gone, and uh, there's Ricky been some. Have you seen some of the 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 rumors and the favorites of who they're... There's going to be a socks off Tony for russa, Alex Cora. The Tony La russa the Tony La russa rumor. Oh, that's not happening.
0: Him. I don't know. It's not. It's obviously he's not trying, happening. Tony he's trying. He's trying to get the Nashville like,
1: thing under. And, uh, like him and Dombrowski, like they're trying to like really get this Nashville Sounds thing going. Like they are. I think Dombrowski moved La, to Nashville.
0: Eighty-five years old, like <laughs> it's not happening. Um, yeah, I but I just I do enjoy that the White Sox and Red Sox, and I, I guess we'll will we'll ostensibly we'll include the Tigers to be nice, but mm. the Tigers are not going to be one of those teams. Um, are going to be in competition for Alex Cora, and okay, le- leaving aside obviously the whole Who aspect Beltran? of. <laughs> Leaving us, I, someone pointed out the guy who suffered the most for all of this is Carlos Beltron, mm-hmm. who wasn't even that involved. Like he, he might not get in the hall now. Lunau. No, he got punished worse than Lunao, who organized the whole thing. Cora, who either let it happen, or Cora, who was the mastermind behind it, and Hinch, who either let it happen or encouraged it to happen. Beltron was not to whitewash what Beltron did, but Beltron was basically just the guy who's like, hey, have we thought about doing this? <laughs> and then everyone else escalated it. I mean, again, of course, I, I noted what it happened. It's perfectly met that they had to fire their manager for a scandal they're not even a part of. But, all right, note noting that ethically, morally, whatever you want to call it, Alex Cora getting a job for the 2021 season after only basically having to sit out a 2020 season that was, You know, where he would have been managing a terrible Red Sox club anyway, doesn't really feel like much of a punishment, and it makes it all feel coupled with the Astros being in the ALCS and and extremely riding that, you know, everyone hates us and that's our fuel, really just does make it feel like no one actually paid for this for this big ass crime the Astros committed. They stole signs electronically for a long time. They won a World Series thanks to it and nothing happened, basically. All the players involved are still in baseball and still, and still getting to play. The main architects of it are probably going to be back in baseball at some point. I guarantee Cora will get hired by someone. I guarantee Hinch will get hired by someone. Luno, who should be, by all rights, radioactive, will probably get hired by someone down the road. Um, which, I, in retrospect, I don't really understand why, why Manfred didn't drop the the lifetime ban on, on Luno, the way he did on Coppola aside from the fact that Coppolella is despised and Luno for some reason still has a lot of juice within major league baseball, but I digress. Um, So leaving that aside that, you know, it feels kind of weird to be talking about which team is Alex Cora going to manage when it's like, um, he was behind a huge cheating scandal. Why is he being allowed to manage a team again? Um, I think if you are Alex Cora though, doesn't the white Sox job look way more appealing than the red Sox job?
1: Well, I think you would need some sort of, uh, Assurance from John Henry that uh, we're going to spend a lot of money again very soon. The
0: money, the money tap is coming on. Yes, because that's the thing. Like, what about the red the Red Sox situation right now? Which I've yelled about many times is a team with no pitching, uh, an uneven offense, a bad farm system, and an ownership group that doesn't want to spend anymore in a in a division featuring two of the best teams in baseball ahead of you in the Rays and Yankees. What about that is appealing? As opposed to, okay, take over the White Sox. Here's Joan Mancada and Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez and Jose Abreu and Nick Madrigal and Lucas Giolito and like all these other cool young players and Yasmani Grandal. And we're willing to spend money as we just did with, with Yasmani Grandal to make this team better. And we play in a crap division. I don't really think that's a hard decision if you're Alex Cora or AJ Hitch, whoever it happens to be, if that, if that is the way the White Sox go. Um, I cannot really see how the Red Sox can top what the White Sox can offer there. Here's here a broken Chris Sale and J.D. Martinez who can't hit anymore. Mm. Yay. You know, and, that, and that undersells, obviously, Raphael, Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts. But Chicago is clearly ascendant right now. Boston is in this weird kind of rebuild phase. I don't really know why Cora would want to pick the rebuild phase with the team where he's just all the all the questions he's gonna get are gonna be about didn't you cheat with these guys?
1: But I think Boston fans miss him, right? It seems like they they want him back. Like I think he's he's just very much wanted back in Boston. I'm
0: sure Boston fans would not I'm sure Boston fans would not blink because the thing is team fandom is a very powerful drug as you see with Astros fans. But I think And maybe I'm totally wrong on this, but I think the the narrative, capital N narrative, for Alex Cora will be easier to put aside if he joins Chicago, Mm. because then I think there'll be enough writers who will sell it as this exciting young team with their World Series winning manager. You know, look out for the Chicago White Sox next year. I think that's the narrative that can and might emerge. Because I also think by that point, like the Astros cheating scale is going to be almost a year old. And it's going, to be, it's going to become very clear at that point that no one actually had to pay for it. So I don't really think there's that many people interested in keeping it alive much longer. And that's just kind of the sense I get generally about the Astros, is that no one's really interested in talking about this anymore. I think fans are, because fans are always, you know, everyone hates the Astros. And fans are always looking for something to be angry about. Not always looking, that's that's not fair, but I think fans care more because it directly affects them in a way that I don't think Major League Baseball really understands. But at least on the Major League Baseball side of things, if you're Rob Manford, you're like, hey, everyone involved that I could punish got punished. What more do you want me to do? Like, I couldn't suspend players. I couldn't postseason ban them. You know,
1: why are you booing me? I'm
0: right. Yeah, Exactly. It's it's I think for MLB, it's like what more could we have done? We did everything we could within the rules and within our within our within the within law or within our power. You know, everything after the everything from the punishments forward is that's just the universe, you know? And I mean to, to a degree, MLB is right. They couldn't do a postseason ban. Um, player punishment is a complicated thing, but I but with the way they worked it out with the MLBPA, there was no way they were gonna be able to punish anyone. The PA would have I mean, there's a tricky question there of would the PA have realized it was in their better interest to let Astros players get punished because otherwise they would have looked like they were protecting cheaters. But that's the PA's job is to protect the players and first and foremost, no matter what. So I doubt there would have been any real player punishment that would have gotten through. Again, I don't really understand why if Luno and Hinch and Cora were behind this massive like extensive scheme to steal signs why not one of them got a lifetime ban from baseball. But that that's probably the one big thing where you can turn around and say, wait, Rob Banford, why did you not do more in that capacity? You know? And I they had draft picks taken, but I don't think that really matters to anybody. Regardless, like, I feel like there's just not that much energy anymore, certainly not among Major League Baseball, who I imagine just wishes this whole Astros thing would just disappear and go uh, the sense on the broadcast that they really want to talk about it. And I understand that there's, it's difficult to talk constantly about, well, they cheated. you know. You, that Throwing that caveat in there every 10 minutes is kind of boring. <laughs> and even if you mention it right in the first inning, even yeah. if the first inning of Game 1 between the Astros and the Rays have been like, oh, here are the Astros. You know what their deal is. They cheated, and they got caught, and a bunch of people got suspended and fired, and now they're here, and they're a bunch of jerks. Even you, you, if, you, if, you, if you say that in the, in the top of the first inning, People tuning in later in the game, are you just going to keep saying it over and over again? Do, again, do we have to include that caveat all the time that here are the Astros, they cheated? Isn't this also a story everyone knows at this point? Yeah. I, I just don't know how much energy or desire there is among anyone in the media at this point to talk about the Houston Astros and what they did and the people involved. I think people are just way more willing to just be like, fuck it, let's just move on. You know, there, There's no point. We'd rather talk about baseball on the field. And I think you saw that yesterday, definitely, with all the national writers tweeting and writing about the White Sox being in on Cora and Hinch and how much they wanted them, and people's response to being like, "Didn't they cheat? shouldn't some, what like why are they just being allowed to get new jobs?" But I think for the most part, um the fans are really the only ones who care at this point because I think Major League Baseball's just kind of decided we did what we could we did what we could, let the chips fall where they may. That ends up being an Astro's World Series well. <laughs> That's going to be awkward, but so be it. And, I mean, I think probably the the league, I'm sure if you could do an internal, like, uh, off-the-record poll of league executives, they're all to a man rooting for Tampa Bay. I imagine they don't want the Astros going forward any further. Because the last thing they need for the World Series is here's the cheating team (laughs) that no one likes where we have to dance around discussing the subject for an entire world series with the chance that Rob Manfred might have to give a trophy to the team. He, he basically accused of cheating eight months ago.
1: Well, hold on, which not really, a trophy, a piece thing. of hardware,
0: oh, a piece of metal, sorry. A piece of a a metal. Piece of yes. Metal. Um, which again, by the way, think about the fact that the Astro, the Astro cheating scandal came apart in like, or the, all the punishments that were handed down in like January. That was this year. That was this year. <laughs> Yikes. 2020. But, um, at least on, but purely on the baseball level, I think Alex Korov, you know, if it does come down to Chicago or Boston, I I don't really see why he would pick Boston over Chicago aside from whatever affection he has for being the manager of the Red Sox, at least on a pure, like non-sentimental baseball level. There's no reason not to pick the White Sox.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Last thing I saw a tweet last night, come across my timeline and it made me laugh uh, where it said, Essentially, if I were Steve Cohen, I would simply sign JT Realmuto and um all these different <laughs> free agents this uh this offseason and prove that uh uh the Mets are back, baby. And uh it, you know what? I, I loved all my Mets friends on here just being like, Yeah, you know what? I would too. What if we just spent money and actually Really beefed up this, this core and this roster. What do you think? Do you think Steve Cohen should sign JT Romuto and a bunch of other high priced veterans?
0: I mean, the reality is that spending money is the new market inefficiency. So, like, if you want to be a good baseball team, you should spend money. Like, no yeah. one else is doing it right now. Um, yes, the Mets should sign JT Romuto, and I'm sure we'll get more into this once the offseason actually does start in a few weeks but I mean, the, the big thing I'm sure you saw too, is that story about Cohen deciding to like re like basically gut renovate the Mets analytics, which was basically apparently just a shameful mess under the, under the will ponds. I, I like, that's the thing. Like, and I feel like this is, this is something where you, if you're Steve Cohen, you kind of have to splurge in this first off season. You need to prove to Mets fans that you are different. And, I know that this offseason, Real Muto aside, is not really made for splurging. This isn't like, you know, this isn't like the Harper Machado winter where it's like you can just easily show how committed you are by signing one of those two guys, if not both. Um, That would have been really funny. But I I feel like if you're – I feel like for Cohen, he doesn't really have a choice. He has to spend, you know. Like, this is the one thing if you want to get all conspiracy. I don't know what arrangement or agreement is made with owners with regards to hey you can spend but don't go crazy don't make the rest of us look like shit bags but you know Cohen I think has to land a marquee free agent this offseason um, and depending on whether or not it's Brody Van Wagenen who amazingly is still in charge I right? I really well I guess he can't be fired technically speaking until not can't be fired but Cohen if he's going to replace him can't do it until he is officially. Uh, in control of the team, and I don't really think it is going to be Brody Van Wagenen making these decisions. But whoever it is is going to want a marquee move. Regardless. it's either going to be Van Wagenen to try to save what's left of of his time as a general manager, or it's going to be a new guy who's probably going to want to make his own stamp on the team. And Real move is a really good way to do that, or whoever else it has to be. But regardless, I do think Cohen has to spend. Um, I. I I think they have to sign a marquee free agent because this is this is the offseason. They have to prove that they are different than the Wolf Ponds. They have to prove that things have changed. Otherwise, you, know, you 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 only get that what's that what's that line? You only get more than one chance to make a first impression. Here it is. You know, this is your chance. You got you have to sign a big free agent. You have to spend money. You have to show that you were serious about this because otherwise, the fans will turn on them with amazing speed. You know. Mets fans are sad beaten creatures who cannot let go of the thing that makes them the most angry. But at the same time, like I do have to imagine there is a limit for them to some degree, and that limit is probably meet the new boss same as possible. You know, Steve Cohen cannot beat the old boss.
1: Yeah. Well, it can't get worse than the Well Ponds, I don't think. I don't I don't suspect. So uh you move up, Mets fans. Um John Taylor, is there anything else you would like to uh, get out there before we get out of here today?
0: No, I mean I'm just excited for more baseball. I'm actually kind of excited that tonight's – the games don't start today till six. Something about four o'clock postseason baseball is really weird Mm.
1: to me. I'm just glad Um, that the Braves are not playing at two o'clock every day anymore. That's been nice because that was a nightmare every day of the week because it just destroyed my my day. Like it just destroyed it in that like four hour game, and I'm just like I. I have other stuff I got to do. And now my whole day and like organizing my day was thrown into, thrown into just a blender. And yeah, I did not. This,
0: this game, nice game might, be, game might be over by 10 o'clock Eastern.
1: Yeah. You know, there you go. You,
0: you get to you get to go to bed early. You don't really feel like dealing with the raised Astros. You know, you just get to move on with your day.
1: Yeah. We'll see. John, thank you Ooh, as sweet. always, sir. Um, don't forget if you like listening yeah. to John and I, you can listen to us every Tuesday on this podcast. Um, leave us a review rating on iTunes. Go check out chaseonspodcast Go follow John at J A Taylor five. Is it five? I want to say five.
0: No, no five. No, no 5. five. Just J A
1: Taylor. Just J A Taylor. Um, I don't know why I thought it was five. I don't know. I'm losing my mind. Um, follow me at chase Under double underscore Thomas, and we'll uh, be back next week.